Our gracious Father in heaven, as we approach thy throne of grace and thy word, we're thankful that we can be gathered here and we have breath and life that we can make this, take the opportunity that we have today to be here and to, to worship thee. We recognize, Father, the importance of doing so and appreciate the blessing that we have when we do get together, even though we be few in numbers today. But these things are, are not, they in, in no way hinder and diminish the blessing that we receive from thee. And so we pray, Father, with the same anticipation, whether our house be full or not, that thou would bless us from above as thou hast promised. Speak to each of us from thy word, for we are in need of thy word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For this morning's text, I have, with the Lord's help, chosen that we read from the sixth chapter of the Gospel according to Luke. Luke chapter 6, beginning with verse 46. Luke chapter 6, beginning with verse 46. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built an house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built an house upon the earth, against which the stream did beat vehemently and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. I have read through the end, verse 49. Jesus brought many messages to the people of his time. And in this particular account, he, he brings to us an image. He gives for us an image of two paths, of two individuals. And the description that he places for us follows the, the course or the discourse that he had on the, on the mount where he famously described the Beatitudes and we didn't spend the time to read those. But if we would, we would see that in, in that introduction in the Mount, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus brings some very strong 
statements about how man is to live his life in this new in this new age that Jesus brings in, that he ushers in with his presence. We can look at that just quickly. He uses the expressions, Blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. Blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. Blessed are ye when man shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you and cast your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your, your reward is great in heaven, for in like manner did their fathers did their fathers unto the prophets. Then he pro- proclaimed some woes, but woe unto you that are rich, for ye have received your consolation. Woe unto you that are full, for ye shall hunger. Woe unto you that laugh now, for ye shall mourn and weep. Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. But I say unto you which hear, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you, bless them that curse you, and pray for them which despitefully use you. And unto him that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer also the other. And him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid it not, forbid not to take thy coat also. Give to every man that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as ye would that man should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. For if ye love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. And if ye do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also do even the same. And if ye lend to them of whom ye hope to receive, what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love ye your enemies, and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and you shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven." Give, and it shall be given unto you good measure, pressed down and shaken together, and running over shall man give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet withal, it shall be measured to you again. And he went on to talk about being, judging others when, and being able to identify the beam that is in someone else's eye when we're not able being able to identify the the sliver that is someone else's eye when we're not able to identify the beam that's in our own eye. And speaking of our own hypocrisy, when we judge others. When we judge others, we in turn judge ourselves. So Jesus proclaimed these statements that for many that heard it were very different. We use the word radical in that it was it was life-changing. It, was, it caused a, a, a reaction in society. Jesus came and proclaimed words that were upside down to the standards that the world understood. He required of man a much higher level of behavior, a behavior that was just contrary to society, and it is still contrary today. And so Jesus lays that 
that basis of understanding and expectation that God has for mankind. And then he brings, he brings this, this comparison. He says, And why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? So now he is, he is presenting a question to those that were listening to him, to those that perhaps were gripped by his message of, of complete, complete contradiction to society, living a life that, that is very different than what they had been taught to live. And he says to them, and he challenges them with this question, why do you call me Lord and don't do the things that I have just told you about? And he says, this, this, is, this is the kind of person that I'm going to, I'm going to compare or, or liken or compare with the person who, who comes to me. He says, whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings, and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. I will make a comparison for us, for you, of the person who comes to me and listens to what I say and then does them. He does the things that I say. He puts in practice in his own personal life the things that I say. And if we want to understand, and Jesus is saying, if you want to understand what kind of person that is and the end result of that person's life. Here is the example. Here is the comparison. Here is the symbol I will use. He is like a man which built a house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock and when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it for it was founded upon a rock. Then he says, But he that comes to me and listens to what I say, but doesn't do them, doesn't do the things I say, does not put into practice the things that I have said. So it's the same kind of person. Um, Externally, we would say, here is someone like the former person who has come is interested in coming to Christ, is interested in hearing and actually listens to what Christ says, but there's a distinction. The distinction is that the person doesn't put to practice, doesn't do the things that he just heard or the things that he has listened. But that isn't so obvious. It says that such a person is like a man that builds a house without a foundation. And he builds the house on the earth or on the sand or on the ground. And when the, when the floods, the same floods arise and the river is overflown and the house is, is um, struck beat vehemently, we could, we could look at that as, as struck against the stream comes suddenly with a force and immediately the house falls. And the, the falling, the breakage of that house is, is described as, as a great ruin, a great ruin. And it happens rather quickly. So Jesus has painted a picture in the hopes that as 
they that would listen would listen carefully in order to determine whether there's something there that is of importance for them. The, the obvious imagery for us and for those that were listening at the time is that the lesson learned would be that if you don't build a house upon a foundation, first of all, and if that foundation isn't, isn't based on something that's pretty solid, and if you build in a floodplain, as an example here, there were floods, uh, the stream rose, so there was a river. There was, so clearly somebody had built a house very close to the river or within an area that we would consider today described as a floodplain where there would be a tendency for the river to overflow. And so, especially in those circumstances, um, he who would build a house under those circumstances, you would think that they would be careful and that they would have done their, their research and due diligence in constructing the home. So the lesson learned there is that if you're going to build a house upon the floodplains, first of all, that's not a good idea. But if you are you should really think carefully how you're going to keep this house stable because chances are the river is going to overflow and the house is going to encounter the floods. And it isn't just going to be a flood. It isn't like we just had recently in Toronto where there were flooded basements, where, where there was property damage to the basements. It was in, clearly it was an economical nuisance for those who, who had belongings damaged, there could have been some uh, precious uh, belongings that were ruined by the water. Uh, but, but this is nothing like the image that's given to us here. The image here is that when the floods come, they're going to come with tremendous force. They're going to hit the house hard, really hard. And the house that isn't founded on something solid and unmovable is going to experience a great ruin. That's the picture. And it's going to happen rather quickly. He uses the word immediately. For those that were listening, like ourselves, we get the picture. The image is clear for us. What may not be so clear is what comes after that image. And this is precisely what Jesus wanted. He often spoke in parables because parables were for those that listened or heard but didn't necessarily go to the next step to examine what is the significance of the parable or the story to me. How does that parable um, apply to me? And so Jesus painted and gave an image that all of us can understand. But the question then is, how do we understand that as far as we are concerned? The first thing that we need to understand beyond the image is that both men built a house. And so we have to stand back and say, okay, we're building a house from all appearances, externally speaking, from all appearances, the houses were the same. There was nothing that you and I could distinguish that's between the houses to say that there's something different about them. The differences in the house, because Jesus used the general term, a house, he didn't distinguish one house from the other, 
i.e. one house was a mansion, the other one was a shed or a cottage. No, both of them were house, so the, the point for us was that from all external appearances, both houses were the same. What you couldn't tell, and what I couldn't tell, is that they differed below the surface. It's below the surface where the differences show up. And this is not unlike our lives. We, on external perspective, may appear to be similar. We may appear to be uh, living lives and, and, and having a, a, a lifestyle that is similar one to another. The differences are more subtle and they require us to look below the surface. Typically, it's in our heart. It's in our mind. What really resides in the heart is what determines the kind of house that we are. And so Jesus wanted the listeners to grab note that the differences are subtle. They're below the surface. We need to investigate further. And he wanted to also build the picture, I believe, that everyone is building a house. Every one of us is building a house. And the house that we build, we have to stand back and say, well, what is it that we're all building? Well, clearly we're building something that we believe. The whole world, every single human being, is building their life upon something. They build their life upon some belief. It may be religion. It may be philosophy. It may, it may have no term for them. In other words, people don't just go... Some people are religious. And they, they live their life around some religious principles. And, and they identify themselves as being religious. And for them, religion is a lot to do with outward appearance, uh, outward ceremony, not necessarily inward belief. But there is an inward belief. Nobody can escape the idea of believing something. Everyone believes something. And it is what we believe that determines what kind of life we live. It's a cause and effect. What happens stems from what's in the heart. We live our lives based on what we believe. And we build our lives based on that belief. Each of us have a belief system. And in the world, there may be, and there are, there are people that don't have um, outwardly, they don't see themselves as religious they don't see themselves as following any, any, any known, any, any uh, publicized philosophy. They don't see themselves as followers of philosophy. They just live their life. In fact, there's many in the world, perhaps majority of the world, people just live their life. And I used to just live my life until I came to know God. And I lived my life prior to knowing God to the best of my, my understanding to the best of my judgment. And I thought perhaps my, ju my judgment was pretty good. In my own eyes, in my own finite understanding, I thought that the path I was on was the right one. 
And so Jesus is telling us that each of us are, believe, are building. We're all building our lives. And we're building our lives based on something, upon something. There is a basis for what we do. That basis is our belief. Whether it's explicitly a religious belief, or whether it's just a personal belief, or whether it's a belief that you and I or anyone else hasn't articulated or defined or hasn't really thought about, it doesn't really matter. Whether we've thought about it or not, we are building. And we build based on that belief. And Jesus is saying that there may be similarities from our lives one to another, but those differences really lie below the surface. And those differences are significant. Both men built a house, but one man decided that he's going to lay a foundation. He decided he's going to lay a foundation, and he, and he thought about what kind of foundation should he lay. He thought about it. Most people today, I mean, we have our building codes today, so it's almost difficult to, to extend this to today, but clearly, when we, build, when we have a foundation built, the building code dictates how, 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 much, how much lower, how deep the foundation needs to be below the frost line. And that will depend on where you are, in what districts of Canada, where the frost line may be much deeper than what it is here. All foundations, particularly for residential housing, the, the, the building code will determine a given... Uh, width of footing and a given minimum width of um, a foundation wall because based on the construction of the house to be able to carry the weight of that house. And the weight of the house is distributed along the footing, so the footing has to be wide enough so that the, 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 the actual stress on the concrete footing on a per square inch basis is minimized and, and our governments control the consistency of our concrete so that when, we, when concrete is poured by a builder or a contractor, it will meet the minimum strength requirement, compressive strength requirement, to, to meet the minimum code requirements for how wide your footing should be and how minimum width your wall should be. All these things have been sought out, and the government has put codes in place so that we don't really need to do much thinking. This is what we need to do when you're building a house. It wasn't quite the case there. In this case... The man had to think about what he was going to build, and he had to think about the foundation. And as he thought about the foundation, he came to the conclusion that he needs to dig deep enough so that he's going to go to bedrock or solid rock, which in our terminology today would be bedrock. It's the next unmovable object underneath the ground that if we can secure a building to bedrock, we can be pretty confident uh, with the exception of an earthquake, that that building is going to withstand most of the external elements. And I can think of the example, for those that have been up to Lake Simcoe, um, that area used to, it still is, but it used to be a swamp area and it was filled up. And for those people that built cottages on Lake Simcoe on the northern shores, if they didn't, if, even if they built a, a cottage where they put a foundation and footing, the ground would shift, and, and the cottage would crack. And so people didn't build foundations because it just didn't work. So then they build floating slabs, and they thicken the rim of the slabs. But those also didn't work because, because there was a lot of shift in the ground. 
Those that wanted to build a cottage that was going to last, what did they do? They dug deep to the bedrock and they drove iron beams, piles, deep, deep into the ground until they hit the bedrock. And on top of the piles, they poured a concrete beam and then they placed the cottage on top of that concrete beam. And if you were to go there today and you would see some of these huge cottages, that's exactly what they did. Those that did not shifted, cracked, had problems. And those that just built on top of the ground, every so many years they have to go there and they have to jack up the cottage to level it and put more stuff underneath the ground. And little by little, the ground is so soft it just continues to swallow up any structure you put there. So Lake Simcoe is a great analogy for this. So they both built a home. You and I are both building our lives. But the one that checked to see how he's going to build decided that it was wise for him to build something that was on solid footing, on solid ground. And here it talks about the solid rock. It was built for it was founded upon a rock. And for us Christians, we clearly see that upon the rock is a metaphor, is a symbol for Jesus Christ. We who build our lives upon Jesus Christ build upon a solid rock. And we can clearly, we could just stop the message here. We can, we can say, aha, I understand now the parallel. I understand what Jesus wants. He wants me to build my life upon Jesus Christ. If I build my life upon Jesus Christ, I will be able to withstand the storms of life, and I will stand. That's true. That is precisely the message here. But, but there's a little bit more that Jesus is saying here. This message is about two people that build their house, and they built their house, if you will, upon hearing the word of God. Both men came to hear and to listen to what Jesus had said. Both men typify the kind of individual that, that is interested in coming to Christ. They are interested in hearing, in hearing the word of God. But both men differ in the way they apply what they hear. One man, both men are building their lives. And if you were to accept this, both men are choosing to build their lives upon what they have heard. They have heard the word of God. They are building their lives upon what they have heard. But one builds their life a little differently. In um, the parable of the sower, the sower, and this is the, struck to me how this is very similar, we are given, the, again, another image where the sower goes out to sow seed on the ground, and some of the seed lands on, on the pathway, some lands on, on, on shallow ground, some lands on stony ground. And I'll read you quickly, it says, some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. So the image here is of a, of a seed that lands on, on a ground that's rocky that has a very shallow surface of, of soil. That the, 
the seed takes well in that shallow place in the beginning because it's moist. It's, it's, it's rather shallow. It's easy to become saturated with moisture. So the seed has ideal conditions to grow. It begins to grow. It springs up. But, but it doesn't, because the ground is shallow, and this is very much like my grass at home where there's, I have very shallow topsoil, and then below there is, is, um, is, is uh, clay. And so the grass has, it, it doesn't have very much root. And when we have periods like we have in the last week where there's no water, last two weeks where there hasn't been substantial rain, the grass begins to go dormant. And only in the areas where it's shady and, it's, it, and it's, it can withstand, it's hidden from the sun, does it remain green. And here when the sun comes up, the ground is scorched, it's dried up, the, 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 little, the little seedling has does not have a very deep root system. It cannot handle the dry conditions, and it withers away. And Jesus says, here is the explanation. Here is the spiritual explanation of that imagery. But he that received the seed into stony places, which is the seed is the word of God, and this is an example of the condition of one's heart, but he that received the seed in stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and immediately with joy receives it. You can imagine the person that was building the house. They both received the word. And they both went off to build their lives upon what they heard. But it's how they built their lives upon what they heard. And the person that received it with joy immediately, yet... It says here that he did not have root in himself, but dureth for a while, or is of short, short duration. Um, it's interesting there that the, in, in the Greek there, it, it, it says that he, basically that he is, he's, it's, it's just very short. He's, he's temporary. It describes the person as someone who is Temporary. You think of, when I think of someone at work, we hire temps, people that come part-time, temporary, to do a task because we need manpower, and then their, their job is done, they leave. You get this picture that, that the person embraced the Word of God, embraced what God had to say, but didn't spend the time to establish root in himself. And what that could mean for us is that we need to count the cost we need to count the cost. What does it really mean to put to practice the words of Jesus Christ? What does it really mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? And when we, it's not enough just to embrace his words because they sound great. We need to look beyond that and say, okay, how does this, how will this impact my life? Not just today, but tomorrow. What does it mean when Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me? What do those words specifically mean to me? What are the things in my life that I need to deny? What are the things in my life that I need to die to? Hence, taking up my cross. It is a symbol of things that I die to daily, that God wants me to die to in order to become more like Jesus Christ. What are these things? What are the costs? 
And what it says here that he is temporary. When tribulation or persecution rises because of the word, because of what he stood for, because of what he had initially embraced, the principles and the beliefs and, and, the, and, and the teachings of Jesus Christ that he wholeheartedly embraced, but when it became difficult to uphold those things because the world was against it, it says here that, that by and by, which is an expression to mean immediately, immediately he is offended. And the Greek word there for offend is he is scandalized. He is scandalized by what is happening in his life because of the resistance of the world, because of the position he took initially in embracing Jesus Christ. And when he is scandalized, he falls away. And the imagery we have of the house is that the person didn't consider what he needed to do to build his life on Jesus Christ. He didn't count the cost. He didn't consider that there are going to come times in his life when it's not just going to be a flood in your basement. It's, you're not just going to lose some precious items that, are, that are emotionally, you're emotionally attached to. There's going to be a storm that's going to hit your house that you have built really hard. That is a guarantee for the Christian. All they that will live godly shall suffer persecution. He that did not have a root in himself was scandalized by the persecution that Jesus Christ promised him. And when the person is building a life that is not fully anchored to Jesus Christ, and by that I mean that the person has not considered the cost and what it means to become like Christ and to allow Christ to live in him, that when the storms of life are going to come, primarily persecution because of God's word, it's going to come like a wall of water. It's going to have so much momentum. It's going to have such an impact that if your house the life that you have built is not solidly secured, it will not stand. It will be a tremendous ruin. Tremendous ruin. So Jesus asked. He gave this imagery and he asked that we think about it. We listen. We think about it. And part of the answer in understanding how we need to avoid such a calamity is that we need to put in practice. We need to do the things that we know. And that is the difference. And we may look at other people. We may see other people that Proclaim that they are Christians that believe in Christ. And I am in no way going to judge anyone for what they claim to be. But just like you cannot see into my heart, I cannot see into your heart. I don't really know the differences. But the differences can be there. And if they are there, they're going to lie below the surface. They're going to lie below the surface. And the only way 
to avoid this situation is to do what we know, is to do the Word of God, to put in practice, to live or allow Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, to live out his life in me. And the thing is that it's not something that you and I can do because we're going to follow a recipe. We're going to follow a bunch of points on a, on a sheet. We're not going to follow a, a, a discipleship program that's going to dictate for us how we grow. It doesn't work that way. The way it works is that God says, okay, you wish to be my child. You are my, re- my purchased possession. I am no longer my own. I am his. Therefore, he is going to do what he wants with my life. I am his servant. He is going to choose to bring into my life degrees of calamity. He's going to choose to bring into my life degrees of hardship, degrees of persecution. This is exactly the calling of a Christian. And Jesus Christ does this because he wants to shape us. God does this because he wants to shape us into the image of his son. We need to conform more and more into his image. And when we resist that molding, when he, when he chisels every, every area, surface area of our lives with blows that hurt in order to, to shape us into the image of Jesus Christ, it hurts. And we have a choice. We have a choice to resist that and go our own way, to build our house without a foundation on the floodplains against all warnings. We have a choice. We have a choice to resist what he has said and think we can do we can conform into the image of his son better. We can't. We cannot do it better. What he brings in your life, in my life, is tailor-made for you and me. It is what's going to work, the work of growth and maturity. And it isn't easy. If it was easy... In fact, if, if, if all of us were given the opportunity, okay, can you choose your trial for your life? Can, can, here's, here's a, here's, you know, can, you, can you tell God, can I tell God this is how I want to suffer and be persecuted and tried the rest of my life? None of us would pick what's right. None of us. And we're not even given vision into that. God picks it for us. God tailor-mades it. He chooses it. So that we would build on we would build a house that's going to withstand. And those days are gonna come. So we better build and better build rightly. May the Lord bless his word. Amen. The words that we've sung here, it's very applicable. I don't know and you don't know how each of us bear our own crosses. And it sometimes I wonder how those who do not know Christ and hear the message and on one hand the picture is is given to them that God offers salvation from sin. That there is a a remedy for the lost condition of man, where man truly cannot find true fulfillment and satisfaction and is enslaved to sin. And the message of hope that Jesus Christ provides the solution through his blood, 
cleansing us from sin, giving us a new body, a new nature, and God filling us with his spirit so that we may understand his will. He's a great message of hope. But at the same time, the message of suffering, of persecution, of taking up a cross, of no glamour, in fact, just the opposite, is accompanied by this message of hope. And the two are not, they are inseparable. We cannot preach great tidings in Christ and ignore the cross. The cross is there. It's not a popular message. It may not be something that we want to proclaim often from the pulpit, but it is the agent that makes us conform to Christ. The Spirit gives us the power, but it is the cross in your life and in my life that gives us the opportunity to become like him. And so I don't know how you are bearing your cross. That's deep beneath the surface. I'd have to dig deep. I'd have to really find out to know. And likewise, you don't know how I am bearing my cross because it's beneath the surface. It's more in the attitudes. It's in perhaps, as it says here, that we, we humbly take and gladly born. We, gladly, we humbly take the lot God gives us and, and we gladly bear that, that burden or whatever God puts upon us because we believe it to be the right thing. And that attitude does come forth and it does come out and it can be seen sometimes. And so we are encouraged. The message is simple. If you listen to the word of God and you do it, your life is going to be like the person who built on the floodplain, but he built right down to bedrock. The streams came, hit his house really hard, very violently, didn't move it. But if you are the person who comes to God, embraces him, listens to his word, but you don't do it, your life will end up like the one who built on the floodplain, built right on the ground. And when the floods came and beat heavily on that house, great was the ruin of it. It's a simple message, but profoundly, profoundly important for us as we look into our own lives. This concludes our service. Amen.